All opinions expressed by Davidson Capital Management on MoneyWise are solely theirs and are based upon information they consider reliable and is subject to change without notice. You should be aware of the risk in investing in any security or investment strategy discussed on the show. Before acting, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and should seek advice from your own financial or investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Got your Money Wise guys back inside the Money Wise studio with me for this weekend show. I have my brother Jeff, Joe Rust, and I am your host, Kyle Davidson. Pretty new listeners to the Money Wise program. Davidson Capital Management is a fee-only registered investment advisor. We're in our 33rd year of business, and with offices in San Antonio and Corpus Christi, we have your investment management needs covered throughout Central and South Texas. And if you'd like to learn more about us, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the MoneyWise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. As we kick off every weekend's Money Wise program, I turn it over to my brother, Jeff, to go into the numbers from Wall Street from last week. So, Jeff, take it away. Okay, in the week just passed, the Dow Jones Industrial Average was down about 834 points, or 2.5%. The S&P 500 was down about 140 points, or 3.3%. And the NASDAQ last week was down about 505 points, or 3.9%. Now, for the year to date, the Dow Jones Industrial Average is down 9.2%. The S&P 500 year-to-date is down 13.3%. And the NASDAQ year-to-date is down 21.2%. So another attack of the Fridays. Yes, Fridays close for the S&P 500 and the NASDAQ were the low closes for the year, year 2022 so far. And I say so far. We know your position, Jeff. Long long time listeners to the show. We'll we'll probably say, well, we're not surprised by that comment, Jeff. Yeah. But, 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 but again, go ahead. I I shouldn't, and I don't mean, I don't mean to laugh. I don't mean to make light of this. It's, it's always hurts when values and stocks go down. It's unfortunately just a part of capitalism and part of investing because you're going to have time periods like this. Um, I'm I'm afraid that you know my opinion is is that I I just think there's more to come. Uh, I think we just continue to move irregularly lower. Uh, there's some lines in the sand that I would draw that I would I would say that the market probably will not go below. Um, those would be the highs that we saw in February of 2020, uh, which for for the for the Dow is probably 3,500 points lower. The S and P, um, it's probably more than a thousand points lower, and the Nasdaq is several thousand points lower. I'm not saying that we're going to those numbers. I'm just saying that would be my absolute maximum line in the sand. Would we, we would in essence wipe out all of the COVID 
gains that have been achieved in the market uh, going back to those February highs. I don't count March in there because March we had that 30% down. I'm taking out March of 2020. I'm just saying, you know, we go back to those highs that we saw in February of 2020, a little more than two years ago. But that's your uh, that, worst that, case. That's, that's my that's worst, worst case, case scenario. That's my worst yeah. case scenario. Uh, but but there again, I would have to say, uh, you know, what is the catalyst? What is the news? I mean, the, the Fed Reserve, they have their meeting next week. We know they're going to be raising the federal funds rate by half of 1%. I guess my big question is with what happened on Friday, because we actually did see higher volumes go above the moving daily volume average. Was Friday a potential capitulation? Was it end of month um, squaring up of positions of traders, hedge funds, money managers in anticipation going into May? Or was this possibly some squaring up of positions for uh, the potential that the Fed may pull some type of shock and awe decision and come in with three quarters of 1% interest rate increase because so many financial talking heads have just been beating them since, you know, mercilessly about the fact that they're so far behind the curve from a Fed fund policy. So the Federal Reserve has not raised interest rates three quarters of a point this century. That was something that happened in the 20th century. And I'd have to go dig deeper into my statistics. The last time that the Fed, Federal Reserve raised interest rates by a half percent, interestingly enough, was their May 2000 meeting. So 22 years ago uh, was the last time the Federal Reserve raised interest rates by one half of a percent in a single meeting. So I just don't see the three quarters. Uh, I think that kind of shock and awe would be not so great for the markets. And I think the Federal Reserve in their, their, their dream, and I'm going to use that, their dream is a, is a soft landing. And I believe mm-hmm. it's, it's going to be a dream. I don't think that they're going to be able to engineer a soft landing. The history has not shown they've been able to do that in the past. There have been a couple of instances where it has occurred, but, but the long-term history of Fed interest rate rate rising cycles is is that that typically it ends with some damage in the stock market, uh, may end with a recession, Um, but it's soft landing is not really in the cards. And we're in we we started from unprecedented low levels. No one has ever had that you know started with a ten year treasury at three tenths of a percent, which is what we got to two plus years ago. On yep. the ten-year Treasury yield, we we've never had a starting point of that. We were almost at zero. I mean, yeah, we were almost. We were basically almost at zero when it came to a ten-year Treasury yield. So there isn't anybody that's been managing money that's ever had this set of circumstances. And so, the the circumstances as we've been talking about these these last you know several dozen shows is we've got this high inflation environment with this still low interest rate environment, these big negative real returns in in fixed income instruments that, in my opinion, has to rectify itself. That relationship has to normalize. And this normalization process is what all of us are trying to handicap. Uh, all of us are trying to figure out 
what is going to be what's the right asset allocation to have in stocks, what's the right industry groups to be invested in. And we're going to have and we knew this year was going to be a lot of volatility and it has come home exactly as we expected. And it's a difficult market to have to 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 see on a daily basis. He's up 600 point, down 600 point, you know, down, up, down almost a thousand points on Friday. And so you've got to have your ducks in a row. When we come back from the break, I want to talk about some other big money management firms that don't have their ducks in a row and how these clients are going to get hurt if they don't get their ducks in a row in a hurry. Okay, we'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. You Money Wise guys will be back after the break. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll free at 1 800 275 2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the Money Wise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments and don't forget to like the show. So if you're just tuning into this weekend's Money Wise program, continuing our recap of the happenings on Wall Street this past week, as I said at the first segment, of this uh, weekend's Money Wise programs. We had Attack of the Fridays once again. And, Jeff, I know that this past week you've been doing some portfolio reviews. I know that we've had some conversations. Um, I know I spent most of the week off myself, but, of course, always in tune, always reading, always analyzing every morning before starting my day. But uh, you were telling me some things in these portfolio reviews that really just made my eyes get very big. When you were telling me some of these allocations you were seeing with some of these prospective clients, well, I think we've been talking about here on the show in the last, you know, really this year, periodically talking about the big cap tech names, and you know, feeling like they needed to have their day in the barrel uh, before you could maybe think about there being a point where you could really commit some more money into the market. We we got lighter in our stock allocations in the week just passed uh, across our portfolios with a few cells. Uh, we may get even lighter next week. We'll see. Um, we're, we're below 50% now in stocks and all of our asset allocations. Uh, the bond side of the portfolio continues to perform well with our short uh, that we have on the long long treasury bond. Uh, doing, continuing to do well because interest rates were up a little bit this week and we're getting up near that 3% uh, 10 year yield. Um, and I think that 3% 10 year yield is going to be maybe a trigger point for some more selling in stocks. You want to say something, Kyle? Yeah, just one little caveat. Our most aggressive allocations are still above 50% allocation. Right. Two I'm talking stocks. about our yeah. But That's yeah, true. we're talking I'm majority of Jeff our clients. So. Yeah, but majority of our clients, again, because we, we work so much with pre-retirees or retired folks, but for our clients that are still in the accumulation phase, 
of their retirement nest egg and saving for the future. We have an aggressive asset allocation model now. Of course, we use aggressive in big air quotes because it's actively managed and we make tactical changes based on real market conditions. So our most aggressive asset allocation is around a 70-30 allocation, 70% stock, 30% fixed income and cash. But like Jeff said, majority of our clients we are below 50% allocation to stocks. So the last time the 10-year Treasury yield had a daily closing yield above 3%, you got to go back uh, to 2011. I think it was May of 2011. So we're talking 11 years since yeah. we've had a 10-year Treasury. I'm going to take that back. We briefly touched it in July of 2018, very briefly. It's like maybe a day. We're very, very close to going over 3% again. Now, whether we get there next week when the Treasury comes out, when the Federal Reserve raises interest rates by half percent, which is what the market expects, I think it's not, it, it's, it's not so much about the, the 50 basis point raise. It's about what is said afterwards. It's kind of like this whole earnings season. Because I know we mm-hmm. want to kind of throw in earnings. Earnings have been relatively okay. But it's not about the earnings. I think I think we we talked about this on a previous show. It's the the focus is not on the current the earnings that are just the, from the previous from quarter. the first quarter. The focus yeah. the focus is the outlook. The focus is all right. Are there any? What are the companies seeing out three six nine for the rest of the year? What what is that looking like? And that's where the where the stocks get hurt. Yes, Joe. Well, the biggest thing that I heard all week in the past week was supply chain issues. And then, of course, Amazon, when they come out with their earnings Thursday and they're looking and they're yes, their earnings weren't fantastic at all. But they're looking forward and you're looking at issues where they may be overhired in some situations because of the pandemic. So now they're overspending in a situation as well. So that guidance forward with some of the FANG stocks, the mega cap tech stocks, um, some were getting Microsoft was okay. uh, Tesla Apple was okay. Was okay. Apple, Apple was okay. okay. Uh, now, Meta was actually like, surprisingly okay. So, yeah, yeah. Meta's, Meta was, face, you know, had, had a really had a really great <laughs> quarter and it went up quite a bit, but it's still down a bunch for the year. Amazon purported its first quarterly loss in seven years, and that well, definitely uh, got some got some it, folks. It, it I know, you know, I understand. I know, but there's we all these caveats and all that. They, 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 Hold on, let me just say about Amazon, why they had a quarterly loss is because they had to take a charge. They took a charge off because of their big investment in Rivian and Rivian not having a very good quarter. So that's why they had their first quarterly profit loss in all those number of years because they took that one-time charge. And their earnings were slightly off, but not greatly. But like Joe said, they've overhired, they're overpaying for their hires, and so now they're going into more cost controls and looking to see where they can start trimming expenses. I, I think back to Jeff's point, I want to get back to uh, portfolio reviews and always looking at. And I was looking at some Amazon. I'm just going to pick on Amazon for a second. I looked at a, you know, a, a large cap growth fund that we used to own that we don't have any exposure to anymore. We have a little of exposure to large cap and, and ETF. But its second biggest holding right now is, is Amazon at over at close to eleven percent. So mm. just doing these portfolio reviews, I mean, and you have a growth portfolio. What do you think you're going to see these these managed right. mutual funds and these ETFs and these index funds heavy in? So but, one of the things that in, in the last week's show I was pretty heavily kind of 
I didn't mean to scream into the microphone, but I hope I hope our listeners didn't interpret it as screaming. But I was pretty emphatic calling out the Wall Street uh, mega firms, the what are they called, the legacy distribution system, as we like to call it, and their their lack of create you know, their lack of management in times like this. And I had come across my my desk this week some prospective client portfolios. One of them uh, uses a stagecoach as its uh, symbol. <laughs> I won't mention the name. Um, and it's an aggressively managed portfolio, and it's nearly 100% in stock. And 15% of the portfolio is in Apple, Google, and Microsoft. 15%. The allocation of those three names in our individually managed portfolios is less than 3%. For all three combined. For all three combined, less than 3%. This portfolio has 15% of its value in those three stocks. Now, Apple in the month just passed is down 11%. Amazon in the month just passed down 25%. Google in the month down just passed down 19%. Microsoft in the month just passed down 12%. The worst month for the NASDAQ since October of 2008. Since the heights, the depths of the financial crisis, that's, that was what April is. Now, as Kyle, I think, mentioned in the first segment of today's radio show, is this the quote-unquote capitulation that's occurring right now in the big cap tech names? It we may don't be. Know. This may be the beginning of it. This may be the beginning of it. I will tell you that, you know, Microsoft, let's just pick one at random, in February of 2020, sold for $185 a share. It's now sells for 277 now, am I saying it's going to go all the way back to those February 2020 highs? I, I at this point, I'm going to say no. I don't think I don't think, no. I don't think it's going to go all the way back there. But but it could it go back 50 percent of that move from February 2020 to it, it got to 323 dollars a share in December of last year. But 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 here's but here's the thing, and we've been talking about it all year of of why we made the mass rebalance we did on January third at the very beginning of this year was diversifying away from single stock risk for the exact point you were just making about this prospective client owning three stocks that total fifteen percent of the total value of their stock portfolio and the inherent risk that they're taking on it's it's again swinging for the fences as we've always tried to educate on the money wise program from day one back in 05 when we started this show is singles and doubles singles and doubles occasionally you'll hit a triple occasionally you'll hit one over the fence but it's the difference between a tortoise and a hare slow and steady we diversified on january 3rd away from single stock risk where we did not want a single stock to equal more than 1% of the total value of the stock side of our portfolios. That's risk mitigation. That's active management. And unfortunately, in this day and age, no matter what the big brand name is of a legacy distribution system that you're working with, 
I can almost guarantee you on January 3rd, they did not diversify away from single stock risk. That I can almost put the G word, guarantee you they didn't do. So, uh, Joe, I know you got a point. You're going to have to hold that point because we got a commercial break we got to take. So let's take that break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. You Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at 1-800-275-275. 2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the Money Wise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. So if you're just tuning into this weekend's Money Wise program, just going into a little bit of a story, a portfolio review and analysis that Jeff was doing with some prospective clients this past week and the high level of concentration of their stock portfolio in just three mega cap tech names. And I know, Jeff, you said Google and Amazon were two of the three who definitely in had an in, in, in Apple, but Two of those three definitely had more of their day in the barrel this past week on their earnings, Google and and Amazon being the the, the two that really kind of took it on the chin. And, and full disclosure, we own Microsoft, we own Google, we own Amazon, but they equate total less than 1% of the stock portfolio for each and every one of those stocks because we wanted to get more risk mitigation on January 3rd. But the bottom line is, is it comes back to knowing what you own. And this is the issue that we were running into with our large cap growth mutual funds. And we found this time and time again. And the reason why we now do not own a single no-load large cap growth mutual fund in our portfolios is because of this high level of concentration, particularly within these big cap tech names, within the top 10% or the top 10 holdings of each and every one of these mutual funds. You know, that's not, that's not diversification in, as we saw it. We saw it more risk concentration. And just for, in full disclosure, we didn't sell those recently. They were sold at the beginning of the year. So yeah. we, we, have been, we have been out of those large cap growth mutual funds since, since this year began. And probably the, one of the best moves uh, in terms of uh, some stock uh, asset class group that we got out of, uh, the other be heavily out of uh, the longer maturity bonds and into these uh, shorting uh, interest rates that we have been in all year long and have added to periodically and may add to again. Uh, I think there's going to be a lot. There's going to be a lot of focus Wednesday on what the Fed has to say going forward, and if the rhetoric continues to be hawkish, I don't think that's going to be necessarily well received by the market. I know there's a lot of folks out there wringing their hands about, oh, the market's already priced in three fifty basis point rate increases, or four fifty point rate base. You know, rate increases have been priced in. And 
to me, whenever I hear that, I think, you know what? That sounds like somebody that maybe has way too much money in stocks, and they need the market to go up a little higher so they can reduce their asset allocations to stocks. That's the first thing that goes through my mind when I hear these people saying, oh, yeah, it's been factored in. It's in the market. You mean they're talking this earnings books? news? This, this whole, all, these, all this earnings news, can, can we say for all intents and purposes, have been absolutely meaningless? to the direction of the market here of late. No it's, one cares about guidance. the first quarter. It's all about I guidance. Think it's guidance. And, and I think Am, what Amazon had to say, you know, reading between the lines, to me, we're three to six months away from companies talking about, well, maybe we overhired, or maybe we're going to have to look at our compensation schedules, or maybe we're going to have to reduce the number of people that we're going to be our plans for hiring, you know, into 2023. And there's going to be those outside companies to say, you know what, maybe we might have to do some layoffs that to me, that's three to six months out. You know, all these stories that we've been hearing from some of our customers that own small businesses and what they're having to do to retain pay, you know, the, 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 Salary ranges are having to pay people just to get people in the door or keep them from being poached by a competitor. To me, it just all reeks of toppiness. It all reeks of an economy that is peaking. You know, twenty percent. We had earlier this week. We had we had a report out that housing prices nationwide went up twenty percent year over year, and that sounds toppy to me. I mean, it really does because on average, home prices go up roughly around the rate of inflation. You want to add something, Kyle? Well, I was just going to say, but but you're not saying that we're that that a recession is imminent. I mean, I just want to make these clarifications because I think I'm in the camp that if we are going to see a, a possible recession, it's going to be sometime in 2023. But as we talked on last weekend's show, by the time you figure out that you the economy has been in a recession, you're typically yes. already on the way out right. because it's a lagging indicator. And 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 as we've talked about, the, the Fed has to run a really fine razor's edge because we are in a midterm election cycle, and the Democrats have a very hard road to maintain control of of Congress. And I would say a lot of folks are saying, you know what, the GOP is go- it's going to be a tidal wave going into November. That could also spur some level of optimism. Uh, with this shift over of power in Congress. But the Federal Reserve, even though they're supposed to be bipartisan, we know the vice chair is definitely leaning on the left camp. And Jay Powell has done, I'd say, a pretty good job of staying kind of middle of the road and staying out of politics. But the Fed has to be very, very careful. And the Democrats are definitely going to be applying some level of political pressure on them to not be as aggressive to push this economy into a recession prior yeah. to the midterm election. I don't, and I, I know don't dad think... and I, and I know dad and I agree on that because he and I had a lengthy conversation about that. Well, there, dad's, not, dad, dad's not here to, to say his piece on it, but I think a, a bigger threat to the economy is not the, the, uh, the election in November, it's seven, eight percent inflation. That's a bigger. That's a bigger threat to the economy. What are, what are? Go ahead, Jeff. 
So, I, so the federal you know, here's here's the here's the way I see it. The Fed's not going to say this, but this is just me maybe putting some words into their mouth because we never do that here on our radio show, right? <laughs> never, <laughs> of course <laughs> not. All right, here's what uh, here's what I think the Fed thinks: houses are too expensive, cars are too expensive, food is too expensive, fuel is too expensive, employment costs are too expensive, and interest rates are too low given the relative rate of inflation. The economy is overheated. And so what are they going to – are they going to come out and say that this way? No, they're not going to do that because the, the Dow will be down 5,000 points, right? So they're not going to come out and say that. They're going to say it in little sound bites here and there, at a speech here, a speech there. They're going to low, They're going to raise interest rates 50 basis points here. They're going to raise it again 50 basis points in the next month. They're going to raise it three times 50 basis points, and then maybe, maybe, that's a big maybe, they might come out and say, you know, we're going to see, we're going to just take a little break and see what happens. Now, is the market truly ready to digest all of that? Do, do, do we really believe that all of that is priced in? None of us really know. I mean, stocks still, from a value, historic valuation level, are we're still elevated. We're still over. We're still at 21, Kyle, somewhere in that range. I know you can look it up real quick. Uh, yeah, let me and pull that up. And the average is somewhere, somewhere in the 16s, oh, I believe. Oh. Well, Kyle, well, Kyle's looking it up. I mean, some of the catalysts for change. 20.88 as of Friday's close. 20.81. We, we'll we talk about this daily. What are the catalysts, not for further downside pressure on the market, but for the upside? Meaning what well, we I'll call what the, Fed to, the Fed to, to pause a little bit. Um, and there's a combination of things. It could be. Supply chain. I keep getting to supply chain because that's all I'm hearing is about supply chain. And part of that, China keeps closing down. Every other week they're closing something down. But we can't control that. We can't control that until we start manufacturing more things and relying on other countries to manufacture that. That's a ways off. Go ahead, Kyle. That was one of the factors. Yes. So supply chain. But we look at companies like Intel that are now building three semiconductor factories here in the United States. Yes, it's going to take several years before they're they're going to be online. But that's the one thing is I think there was some lessons that were learned during COVID about diversification of supply chains. But we also know that there was this lack of an equilibrium from a from a consumer standpoint where they were doing nothing but consuming products and consuming very little services. Now, as as the market dynamics and forces continue to expand, we'll see more of an equilibrium where we're going to start seeing some of the consumer shift to not as much product buying, which will alleviate some of the supply chain constraints. It will now start moving some of the money that they're spending onto services. And when you look at someone like American Airlines that had the largest profit in the history of their existence this last quarter shows that people are now starting to shift their spending patterns. And if GDP, if two-thirds of GDP is driven by the consumer, well, we've had this just, again, overspending on products, underspending on services. So even though the Fed, they have one tool, it's a hammer. Even though they might need a screwdriver in this particular inflationary situation, they're going to continue to use the hammer because they have nothing left. They have nothing else in their toolbox. But what I'm trying to say in my thesis is is just the shift in consumer behavior because COVID is now in the rear view. They're going to get back to traveling. They're going to get back to spending money on airline tickets, hotels, 
restaurants not spending as much money on products. They'll maybe forego the 4K TV because they want to take a trip down to Cancun possibly. And so we're going to see this shift in this equilibrium. But I know we've got a break, so let's take the break. We'll continue this on the other side. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. You Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at one 800 275 2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the MoneyWise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. So in our last segment of the first hour of this weekend's Money Wise program, I know, Jeff, we get my, my point got cut off right at a commercial break. I timed it perfectly because I know you wanted to do a rebut, but you know, I have been repeating this same thing because I don't want this show to be complete doom and gloom because the bottom line is, is there are some rays of sunshine out there, regardless of whether you disagree with it or not, Jeff. The fact of the matter remains is that the U6 unemployment number is one-tenth above its all-time low when President Trump was still in the White House. So anyone who wants a job has a job. We still need three million more people to fill jobs that are still out there. So, you know, you don't see an economy going into a recession when you've got this level of employment. We're not then talking see, about an economy okay, going into a recession. We're talking about okay. stock price. No, no, I'm going to stop you because you'll take up well, four minutes I, and no, I'll no, have two minutes just, to talk in the last give, segment. Give me, so, okay, two minutes. So, two so, minutes. Two, two, you know, no, just two two minutes. One and a half. So, I'm going to be okay. arbitrator here. You get one okay, and a half. Okay, three, so, go. So, so we have the American consumer, again, flush with cash, over $2 trillion oh, sitting yeah. in savings. And we have the lowest debt servicing cost to cash in 30 years. So the consumer is still strong. Even though these prices are elevated, I'm hearing people in the car business making the most money they've ever made and other types of industries making the most money they've ever made because people have the money to spend. Will that eventually run out? Yes, it might. It's happening right now. I I wouldn't say it's happening right this second now. The the economy is topping right now. We just had a negative GDP number, right? Yeah, but uh, again, okay. that I know was because was, of the I know trade, trade imbalance. I know, there were, I know there were some caveats there. But the actual GDP was 2.7. Let me, let me ask you a question. Do you yeah. think that house prices are going to go up another 20% year over year? It's just a yes or from no a answer. Net, from a I national yes or no. no. Yes or no. Yes no, or no, because there's okay. caveats, no, Jeff, no, because real estate's no. local. Okay. No. Okay. Right? Do you think earnings growth this year is going to be the same as it was last year? Yes or no? No. Okay. Do you think interest rates at the end of this year will be the highest that they've been in more than five years? Yes or no? Oh, absolutely. Okay. So do you think P.E. ratios in the highest interest rates we've had in five years, we may get there by this summer, will still justify a, a, an over 21 times earnings per share ratio on S&P 500 stocks, yes or no? 
Um, I think that when you look at the 10-year Treasury, there is no alternative. Yes. Now, that, that, now wait a second. Kyle, you're going to get a text from Dad Saturday. He's going to say, and he's going to say, he's going to say, Tina minus 10 and cash zero. And what he what he means is is that if you were in cash this year, you'd have lost no money. And if you were in S and P five hundred stocks, you'd be down ten ten percent. But managing or money more. in the rear view is so Actually, easy. It's more than that. No, no, I know, no, no. but hindsight but, is so easy. Tina, that, there's always alternatives. There's always alternatives to stocks. We we own them. We own them in our balanced portfolio. We have cash. We have some bonds. Very short maturity. We were short long maturities. But but you if, can't hold interest rates, if interest rates because interest did, rates are going high. No, and no one here is advocating that. He, he's no talking one, about higher No P. one's P. advocating. No one's advocating Correct. that. We're not advocating an all-in, all-out strategy. That's not what's being absolutely not, not, not. being advocated here. <clears throat> so interest rates are going to be the highest they've been in five years or more by the end of this year. Earnings growth is not going to be the same this year as it was last year. I don't think housing is going to be growing at 20% year over year again. So uh, that's just three factors. Yeah, there are many more. I think the economy is topping. Um, my worst-case scenario is we go back to February 2022 numbers. That's a worst-case scenario. That's, February 2020? That, that February, February 2020 numbers. That's – that's we're talking about, you know, financial crisis type declines. Some stocks have had financial stock, financial crisis type declines this year. Some have not. Some have not really had their day in the barrel. Yeah, it was a tough month for the big mega cap tech names, but they they're still a long, long ways away from where they were at the beginning of the uh, of. You know, but, but, but Jeff, but, but, and they're not Jeff, even half. They're not even down half what they are from their highs. You know, going back those two years. Okay. And, the, the issue okay, is but, this. but Jeff. Okay, go Jeff. Real quickly, and I know we're headed towards the end of the, the, the segment. But if you're investing and you're a retiree and you got to pull out a four or five percent income stream, you still have to have some exposure to stocks, bonds, cash, perhaps alternatives. Because if you're pulling out four, you've got to make There's, five. So you well, have there's going to be years you're not going to make four or five. Right. And you have to be That's patient. Right. That's the biggest thing you have to understand. This show too passed. But the other Let's thing go. we have to point out to everybody is what I pointed out last week is you've got to understand what you own. I don't want, I don't want us to go back to February 2020 numbers. If we were to do that, we're going to have the kind of stories that we had in 2008, 2009, when folks thought their money was being managed, but it wasn't, and they had no idea what they had, and next thing they they do, they look up and they're down forty percent. You know, I, I don't want I, I want people that are listening to us that have money invested elsewhere, that have advisors that have done nothing this year, that have fifteen percent of their money in the three mega cap tech names, asking what the heck is going on here. Why? Why? Why am I overexposed to these names? They're great companies, but sometimes there's great companies and there's great stocks, and they're not always the same same thing at the same time. But I want folks to under you know, really take a good look at where they're exposed in their portfolios. And I want you to repeat that point yeah. again, Jeff. That you have great companies and there's you great have great companies stocks, and great they're not stocks. always sometimes they're not always synonymous. They're not always no. synonymous. Nope. And you, you really have to take that to heart. 
Because Amazon, is it a great company? Yes, it's a great company. It will continue to be a great company, but it might not necessarily be an investable company right now. The best example this week is Boeing. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a duopoly. There's only two companies on the planet that manufacture airplanes, Boeing and Airbus. And Boeing has a serious management problem. Great company, great products, long history, great technology. But when you got bad management, you got a bad stock. And that's why we sold out of it this week. That's right. That's right. So you have to know what you own. If you haven't looked at your portfolio, if you haven't had your portfolio reviewed by actual money managers that are actively managing assets on a daily basis, making adjustments when adjustments need to be made and looking down the road to, you know, and who has the years of being in the trenches and having has an investment management philosophy with over a 30 year track record to prove what their philosophy can do in all different kinds of market conditions. That's when you need to give us a call. 800-275-2162. With that, we're coming to the top of the hour break. We're going to take the break, go on the news. When we come back, we'll be diving in the second hour of this weekend's Money Wise program. So stay tuned, and we'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Money Wise, guys, we'll be back after the news. All opinions expressed by Davidson Capital Management on MoneyWise are solely theirs and are based upon information they consider reliable and is subject to change without notice. You should be aware of the risk in investing in any security or investment strategy discussed on the show. Before acting, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and should seek advice from your own financial or investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We've got my father, John, my brother, Jeff, and I am your host, Kyle Davidson, and we are diving in to the second hour of this weekend's Money Wise program. Now, if you'd like to learn more about us, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com, or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you have an investment-related question or topic you'd like for us to discuss here on the MoneyWise program, you can send all your emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. If you missed the first hour of MoneyWise, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Click on the radio show link where you can listen to today's show as well as past MoneyWise programs. You can also subscribe to our iTunes feed by clicking on the blue note in the upper right-hand corner of our homepage at davidsoncap.com. Thank you, Jeff. You're welcome. Well, as we like to do in most of the second hours uh, of every weekend's MoneyWise program is going to investor education. And there was a great quiz that came out in the Wall Street Journal that I, I think it's fantastic for investor education. I think it's a, it's a great way to really get all of our listeners to be thinking about their retirement if they're planning. And, and of course, everyone's working towards retirement or is possibly currently in retirement. And so, Jeff, I know you and I wanted to focus a lot of this second hour um, going into this quiz because I think it's just chalked full of a lot of great information. And, you know, as we get started, you know, what what if before you retired you had to pass a test first, kind of like a driver's test, you know, something that gauges how much you know about savings targets, medical bills, estate planning, and a few other fundamental issues? Because I guess it's kind of like 
getting your high school diploma. Maybe we call this this is the way you get your retirement diploma. Is you have to you have to get at least a passing grade. And we'll I guess we'll, we'll go with seventy five percent. Seventy five percent is passing grade on this quiz. So I think we just kick it off with question number one. Now, research by Fidelity Investments recommends that workers should aim to save what multiple of their ending annual salary at age 67 in order to meet basic income needs in retirement? Now, this question has been We've heard so many different, is it four times, is it five times, is it ten times? Now, in this quiz, we have four potential answers to that question. A is four times salary. B is six times the salary. C is eight times the salary, or D, ten times your annual salary at age 67 in order to meet basic income needs in retirement. And the answer to that question is answer C, eight times your current salary. Now, the math is based in part on a worker beginning to save at age 25 and living to 92 years old. So a household with an annual income of $100,000 will need a minimum of $800,000 to meet basic income needs in retirement. But there is a big but here. There's always a catch. (laughs) This is the catch. This is a conservative estimate according to the National Institute on Retirement Security. By contrast, though, Aon Hewitt, which is a human resource consulting firm, estimated that 11 times salary is needed at age 65. So in that same example, you would need $1.1 million in order to meet your basic income needs if you were to retire at age 67. These numbers to me, I I must say, and I know you guys deal with it more on a day-to-day basis, but these numbers are pretty absurdly large, honestly. $800,000. Well, Think about eight hundred thousand yeah. dollars. Now remember, when when we started working, and I'm from this group, we thought you were doing well if you made ten thousand dollars a year back in the late sixties. It's called inflation, Papa Son. I, I know that, but 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 when you see this number, uh, eight hundred thousand dollars, I I don't know what the percentage would be of people that actually would have saved this for my generation, but it's got to be a lot smaller than what these numbers show in the survey, and so. I guess what I'm saying is I wish sometimes we wouldn't throw a number out quite that you I mean that's just a absurdly intimidating number. Well, remember the part of this quiz is to set goals for oneself and that's and that's one of the biggest problems that Americans face and pre-retirees face in this day and age is paying themselves first and preparing for retirement. That's why quizzes like this, that's why we do these educational hours on the Money Wise program like we do is to get people to start thinking in terms of their retirement and have I saved enough? Am I doing enough towards my retirement? Uh, and if I'm not, I need to really get on the ball. But don't think that if you're age 55 and you've saved very, very little that your retirement's completely shot. I mean, again, you have to get on it. I'm going to have to somewhat agree with Dad, and I'm going to just throw out a couple of examples. Our grandparents, our grandparents didn't have $800,000 when they retired, and they they lived. Actually, actually my, my, my grandfather probably did have well, $800,000. But, but, I, but I'm thinking about your parents yes. and, no, mom, no. and mom's no. parents. I'm, no, th- no, I'm, I'm no, talking about true. here in the last 25 years. Yes, yes. No, that's true. And they had a, and they had a great retirement. I think what what, I, what Dad and I are kind of maybe headed in the direction here, Kyle, is 
when, I, I think when, this no, number no, no, scares no, people. Well, I, I, it does. It is a scary number. It, but it is used to scare people to get them to think about. But, their but retirement. we've also we've also seen a, a movement from the fin, the legacy distribution system, the financial legacy distribution system, to say that investors should use a maximum withdrawal rate of what only four percent per year. And we think that that's awfully low, and we think the reason they set it at 4% is, one, so that they can continue to collect their high fees and expenses, and two, to keep the bar as low as possible, to keep as much money on their on their in their care and control, if you will, so they can keep their high fees and expenses. And maybe this is another way of saying, okay, we can keep – we get people to save more money by putting this kind of information out – so that we can, again, collect more fees and expenses from folks. Okay. So question number two. A popular rule of thumb states that retirees will need 70 to 80% of their pre-retirement income in later life. Some of the best research into replacement ratios by Aon Hewitt and Georgia State University have found that a good benchmark is A, 65%, B, 75%, C, 85%, or D, 95%? Now, the answer is C, 85%. This is one case where the rule of thumb isn't far off the mark. In its own study of replacement ratios, the Social Security Administration has noted that households typically need less income later in life because income taxes are lower, people no longer need to save for retirement, and work-related expenses are reduced or completely eliminated. That said, the best way to identify one's replacement ratio is to draw up a detailed budget for later life, unfortunately. Well, with that, we're going to take another commercial break. When we come back, we'll be continuing this quiz. Think you're ready to retire, and we'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after the break. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about us, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or receive a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906 0070 or toll free at 1-800-275-2162 and all emails can be sent to moneywise at davidsoncap.com so before we went to the last commercial break I was on uh, question number two of the quiz kind of what is the rule of thumb of how much income you need to replace in retirement and the answer was uh, 85% of your current income would need to be replaced in retirement, Dad. I know that uh, there was something you wanted to add to that figure. Well, well, again, I think this number is too high. I think it's a scary number, and I, you know, when they throw out these big numbers like this, I don't know that this motivates people. It's almost like people throw their hands up because you think it's too overwhelming. It's just too overwhelming. Now, this would be different if this if we did a quiz for twenty eight year old people after they've been out in the world. I mean, this no, is, I agree. This, this is who should be taking the quiz. So, in high school, maybe, and you know, in a high school finance class, which unfortunately they don't teach in high school anymore, uh, you know, personal finance class, or teach it freshman finance basics one hundred and one should be a prerequisite course that you have to take as part of your general studies in your first two years in college. Right. This would be right. a great quiz. Let's, to let's take. flash back. I'm in the you know I'm right in front of the baby boomers. So when I get into the corporate world there in the late 60s and get into it heavy in the 70s, we have a pension plan. 
I'm not contributing to this pension plan. The old defined benefit plan. And, and I'm going to have this pension plan at age 65. You know, and every year I get a statement showing me what it is. But the problem was every two or three years I'm changing jobs. And so I end up with no retirement until we finally come out with a 401K. Mm-hmm. And so now we do have a situation where young people can carry this 401K with them wherever they go. Wherever they go. And but, so, but they have to participate. But they have to participate. And so what I'm saying is some of this throwing out these big numbers, I, I fear that most of the people, the baby boomers, are the first 10 years of the baby boomers, they're done. They were in these same plans. They didn't start their 401Ks until the 80s. There's no way in the world they've got these kind of numbers. They just aren't going to have these kind of numbers. Not not the majority of the people. It's almost as if these first two questions are assuming that the retirees are have kids that are still teenagers and haven't gone to college yet, and they just bought their house two years before, and they have a 28 years left on their mortgage, and they got two brand-new cars yeah. in, in the garage you know, in the real world, most of the most of the people who had, when they retire, their kids are out of college. Their house is probably paid off or nearly paid off, and they have two cars in the garage that are paid for. And the reason I say it is because we see these folks every day, mm-hmm. and and they don't. And the, the typical retiree or person that's getting ready to retire comes to us and says, "Oh, my house is paid off. My cars are paid off. My kids are out of school. No credit card my, debt, and no credit card debt." And, 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 and they and they've prepared properly. They they took the proper steps of paying themselves first. But usually, Dad, they, these folks that we see have the combination of the traditional pension, like you're talking both. about, and the four hundred one k. Now, you know, and what's typical is that the pensions usually about half of their retirement savings, and then the four hundred one k is the second part. So is of it, their retirement savings. is is it bad to to want to overshoot to have no, a million dollars retirement? No, not. is is it bad to to want to have seventy or eighty percent of your current uh, income in retirement going up twenty years? No, that's why not why not overestimate and shoot for the stars because if you come up a little bit short, you'll still be most likely okay. But but with all this said, again, if you are in your 50s, early 50s, mid-50s, and you haven't saved that much, we're not telling you to stop saving for no, retirement. No, no. We're saying that you need to hit the pedal to the metal and save as much as you possibly can. But also, like Jeff was saying, focus on your consumer debts. Fo- you know, focus on you know, reducing loans, expenses. Reducing expenses because, see, that's another key to having a more comfortable retirement is by lowering your overhead. And the lower your overhead and the more money you've saved and the cheaper your cost of living is, the further your money is going to last. And one other thing that was in here that I hear you talk about all the time to people thinking about retirement is getting this budget, sitting down with your spouse or your significant other and setting these budgets out and seeing really what are you going to need. Mm-hmm. And, and again, nobody really knows what they're going to need 15 years from now. But I always say take like the last six, maybe eight months and average it and just see what you're spending. But I think also it's an exercise of opening your eyes up to how much you actually are spending. Because I think, Dad, some folks don't really pay that much attention. You know, I can tell you I budget with, with my wife like a maniac. I am a budget maniac, and I'm constantly on top of what my free cash flow is, what money's coming in and out of the door, keeping track of all of that to the penny. And I've been 
and I've been, uh, you know, blessed to have a wife that does it exactly the way that I do it, and so it makes our our house a very happy home because we never have to argue about budgets or money ever, which is nice. So, question number three. Question number three. Jeff. What percentage of surveyed workers aged fifty-five and above said they or their spouse? have tried to calculate how much they will need to save to live comfortably in retirement. A, 34%, B, 44%, C, 54%, or D, 64%. And the correct answer is C. Only about half of workers approaching retirement have done a savings needs calculation, according to the Employee Benefit Research Institute. One encouraging development is that that figure from January of the beginning of the year is up forty two. It was up from forty two percent in two thousand and three. So, the good news is is that more people are taking the bull by the horns, if you will, mm-hmm. and sitting down and and doing this save this this uh, savings need calculation. Well, I just think that again, this is something that everyone can do. And I hope that we're part of getting that number up. We, absolutely. And, and as we've said on this show, previous shows, as many years as we've been doing it, is there's a ton of free calculators online, a ton for you to be able to project you know, what potential retirement income you need. Am I saving enough right now based on what I've currently saved and what expenses I have? Utilize the Internet for all of these free calculators. I found a website, I wish I had it written down, that has a gazillion free calculators and you can spend all day having fun with calculations and the computer program does everything for you and it's free of charge. I also one other thing I didn't say, I think the ninety two is really a ridiculously high number. As age. far as living? Yes. I I, I don't If think you that... look at the actuarial charts though, Dad, right now someone age sixty five, they have a better than fifty percent chance to live well into their eighties. Yeah that uh, with modern advances in medicine. So uh, you can disagree with it, but I the totally disagree. I think that I mean there is very few people are going to live to be ninety two. Very very few. I would disagree with you on that, but <laughs> that's what makes this show so fun. So question number four: Among workers age fifty five plus, what percentage think they need to save quarter of a million dollars or more for retirement, and what percentage have already saved that amount or more? And the answer is 54%, about half of the 55-plus demographic thinks a nest egg of at least 250000 not including the value of their home or any pension, is needed later in life, according to the Employee Benefit Research Institute. But unfortunately, fewer than one in four, or less than 25%, have reached that goal. More sobering still is 36% of this age group report having saved less than $10,000. So here's where I'm coming from. We throw out a number of 800000 in question number one. We come back here on question number four, and we're saying... But that's 800000 based on a $100,000 household income, Dad. So if you make $50,000, it's $400,000. But what I'm saying here is we, we can't even get... More than one in four people to have two hundred fifty thousand dollars. I know that's why we're doing this survey to no. really get people to start thinking, and it's kind of a not I don't want to say scare tactic, but it kind of is to 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 wake people up that maybe are not on that savings bandwagon. Well, see, two fifty a quarter of a million a quarter of a million dollars sounds like a lot of money until you think you're going to live eighteen years plus plus. 
past the age of 65. All of a sudden, you put 20 years into $250,000. That's not a lot of money. That's about 12500 a year. Yeah. That's not, that's, you're not going to be on it's any a grand needs. a month. Yeah, that's not going to get you anywhere. So that's why, that's why when we're talking these numbers, this is the more sobering number to me. I mean, see, the 800 number just goes over my head. What I want to focus on and what our listeners will focus on is a lot of people think $250,000 is a lot of money for retirement. It's not. Not if you live 15, 20 years in it retirement. It is not. And yet, it is a quarter million dollars, which ain't hey. No, so, no, it's not. And so you've got to think in terms of the budget. You've got to think in terms of your how many years you're, you think you're going to live. You've got to watch your actuarials and see where they are, and you have to plan accordingly. You think people are going to live to be in their 90s. No, 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 no. They're statistically, I mean, these I, are statistics just, I'm spouting. I'm just saying 250 is woefully short if you're living to be 92. No, that that's that's absolutely true. And only one in four have got that number. That's well, no, and, and what's what's even worse though? And this is thirty six percent of of age fifty five plus. Thirty six percent of this group have reported to have saved less than ten thousand dollars. Now that that is a sobering statistic. Well, we're coming to the bottom of the hour, so we're going to take the break. Going to the news. When we come back, we'll be continuing. So you think you're ready to retire quiz, and we'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Money Wise guys will be back after the news. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you could reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906 zero zero seven zero or toll free at one eight hundred two seven five two one six two and if you'd like to send us an email you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com so we're continuing the quiz that came out of the wall street journal think you're ready to retire that's the title of the uh, of the article in the quiz and we've gotten to question number five now, question number five is, what is the average age at which current retirees say they actually retired? And what is the expected retirement age of current workers? Now, the answer, according to the Gallup poll published in May, found that the average retiree stopped working at age 61, and that's up from 57 in 1993, and the average worker currently expects to retire at age 60, 66, up from age 60 in 1995. Giving your nest egg a boost isn't the only benefit from delaying retirement. Gallup also found that individuals age 60 to 69 who work have slightly better emotional health than those who don't work. I think since 2008, I have been making the statement that I thought that the re, one of the reasons why uh, unemployment, the unemployment rate seems to be staying at a higher level than it might, might have been in uh, recoveries past, if you will, is because of this, is because of the average worker working longer. I like the way that you put it, like a domino effect. That yeah, last yeah. domino hasn't fallen I, I, I off. I think he's right on it. I think he's because, right on because because if we've got if we've got thirty six percent of the fifty five plus age demographic that have saved less than ten thousand dollars for retirement, how can they actually retire? 
The answer is that they can't. Unless they can live strictly off of oh, Social, Social Security. Security. Well, and you can't start taking Social Security. You're 62, and you're saying no. the number right now is 61. And for Kyle, for me, it's 65. Well, what I, I mean, what what was what was amazing though, I think, in this last question though, is that the average age of current retirees, they stopped at sixty one. They Which retired at sixty one before they before could get, they could get, get Social, Social Security. Security, and now and now workers are currently thinking about age 66 i mean i which think would, it, which would I, be after the majority of them start being able to collect and here's something else that's interesting about this statistic remember now that the people that are in and around my age didn't get a 401k until the 80s so they worked 10 12 14 years before a 401k even existed that's true and and, and really iras had not been around that long and so mm-hmm. what you're seeing here is that the people who have actually retired are those few people that stayed with a corporation, did not job switch, and the corporation exists. You know, in my case, almost every, you know, corporation I work for is no longer in business. And their pensions had to get turned over to the Pension Benefit Guarantee Corporation, and those folks have enough unfunded liabilities to handle strictly from the airline industry alone. So I find it interesting that, that my age group that's retired, they said that they retired at age... 61. So that tells me that they were a government worker, they were in the military, uh, they, they had some type of public service, or they were fortunate enough to have worked for a corporation that stayed in business and they didn't job switch. Number six, what percentage of surveyed workers say they plan to continue working for pay in later life, and what percentage of current retirees say they have worked for pay? And the answer to that is it's among the biggest disconnects in retirement planning. The large number of current workers who anticipate earning a paycheck in later life and the relatively small percentage of retirees who actually have done so, 69% plan to work later, uh, plan to work in retirement, while 25% have worked for uh, say they have worked for pay in in retirement. So I mean that when sixty nine percent are planning to work in retirement, but in actuality only twenty five percent do. So if you think, well, I haven't done a great job saving for my retirement. When I finally retire, I'll go get a part time side job and, and earn money that way. Well, this this survey has found out that a lot of people plan to do that. But very few actually go out and do it. Number seven, what percentage of U.S. households are at risk of not having enough savings to maintain their living standards in retirement? Now, A, 33%, B, 43%, C, 53%, or D, 63%. Now, the answer is C, 53%. And that figure has climbed nine percentage points between 2007 and 2010, according to the National Retirement Risk Index. Now, among the reasons for the increase are the bursting of the housing bubble, falling interest rates, and the gradual increase in Social Security's full retirement age. And the approved, if painful, solution for reducing that risk is save more, reduce expenses. So we're just talking about and hang on to your current job for as long as possible. But see, this number is too low. We just said only one in four is saving two hundred fifty thousand dollars. So then how? No, 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 no. no. Yeah, yeah. One in four. So how could only fifty three? How is it that fifty three percent have enough savings? 
That can't be. The number should be 26, 25. This number is not consistent with the other number. Well, you're going to have to call the National no, Retirement no. Risk Index what at the I, Center what, what for what Retirement saying. Research and tell them that. But what I'm saying, these are two separate studies. This is not done by the same people. And what I'm saying here is when you start looking at these different studies, everyone has different answers. they got different numbers. And what we see, because we are on the front lines, what we're seeing is that we're seeing the few. We're seeing that one in four that has saved, mm-hmm. that has got this money. But you've got this other group that are relying on Social Security, and we can't even get our politicians to discuss fixing it. That's right, and and there's enough. Uh, and, and, and now we're we're not even going to get into politics. Now we're embarked on the greatest adventure any of us has seen since Medicare in the '60s, and that's now the Affordable Care Act, which it could be the biggest misnamed act in the history of this country. You mean it should be called the Unaffordable Unaffordable Care Act, Health Act? I mean, we don't know, <laughs> and so we're on this. We're right on the cusp of this new horizon which is the most important thing for seniors. Now, they tell us as seniors that our Medicare is is going to stay the same. Well, excuse me if all of a sudden I'm not concerned because I heard the president say, if you want to keep your health care, you can, and now we've learned this week that's not true. Only if your plan was in existence prior to the 2010 deadline. So moving on to question number eight. If you retire at age 65, what percentage of your life can you expect to live in retirement? And, Dad, you kind of alluded to this yeah, a the, few segments ago. Yeah. Let me get to the answer. Hold hold your horses there. Hold my water. <laughs> 14%, B, 17%, C, 20%, or D, 23%. And the answer is D, 23%. The average life expectancy for a 65-year-old is 19.1 years, which means the average American will spend close to one quarter of his or her life in retirement. Again, the key as to why you have to save for retirement. And remember, we now have that giant rat that's gone through the snake that's coming out with the baby boomers that has skewed all of the numbers all my life in every day, how many more are retiring? And we're getting ready to change health care for everyone in the country. You lost me with the rat through no, the I'm snake. Just, I'm <laughs> saying baby boomers was this giant group of population okay. uh-huh. that skewed schooling. Then it skewed housing. And it's going to skew Social Security it, it's benefits It's going to skew whatnot. entitlements. Yep. And what are we doing at the one time we shouldn't be fooling with this? We've just got ourselves into the health care situation. Mm-hmm. And so what I'm saying is that while these guys are up there screwing around with the budget ceilings and everything else, as we talked about on show number one back in November 2005, entitlement tsunami wave continues to approach the Poseidon. Okay, so question number nine. A 65-year-old couple retires this year. In 2013, how much money will they need to cover medical expenses throughout their retirement? A, $100,000, B, $140,000, C, $180,000, or D, $220,000? Now, this number will probably shock some of our listeners. The answer is D. The figure from Fidelity Investments is actually down 8% from projections in 2012. So you'll need $220,000 to cover medical expenses throughout your retirement. Now, 
the re, but the remaining significantly larger than most. Now this number is is significantly larger than most now. than most consumers estimate. And a Fidelity poll of pre-retirees age fifty-five to sixty-four found that nearly forty-eight percent believe that they will only need fifty thousand dollars to pay health care costs in retirement. What's also problematic is that the estimated $220,000 doesn't include the possible cost of over-the-counter medication, most dental services, and long-term care. See, to me, this is the largest threat to the baby boomers, and they don't even understand Medical costs. Medical costs. Health care. And you guys, from time to time, kind of wade into you know what I and your mother have dealt with here for a few years, and that is the cost, current cost of <clears throat> medical care, like a visit to a emergency room, and what that can cost two hundred thousand dollars, two hundred twenty thousand uh, dollars. That number is too low. Whatever that number is, I'd believe eight hundred thousand before I'd believe two hundred thousand <laughs> because the truth is. We don't know what that number is. Well, and we know that medical costs are spiraling way out of control, and the government is doing nothing to get control of them. With that, we're going to take another commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after the break. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you could reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So in our last segment of this weekend's uh, Money Wise program, we want to wrap up. So you think you're ready to retire quiz from the Wall Street Journal. Uh, getting to question 10, what percentage of participants in defined contribution savings plans, that includes 401Ks, contribute the maximum amount allowed each year? A, 5%, B, 15%, C, 25%, or D, 35%. Now, this might be shocking. This the, is easy. Yeah, it actually might not be shocking, I should say. The answer is a 5%. Only 1 in 20 savings plan participants contribute the maximum amount allowed annually, which is currently $17,500, according to a survey by the Government Accountability Office. A Vanguard study published in June found that only 11% of participants in Vanguard-administered plans saved the maximum in 2012, and only 15% of those eligible took advantage of the catch-up contribution provision, which is an additional $5,500 you can save on top of $17,500 for anyone over the age of 50. So, I mean, num- that's, that's, that's we shocking, been, you know, low. Well, we have, been on, we have been on for a long time talking about low, participa- low participation rates in 401Ks. So you compound been, low participation with low contribution well, on lo- top lo- of that. Yeah, and you, when you add those two together... Then you're then it's very easy to see how someone how we have what was it thirty some odd thirty six percent of fifty five uh, folks over fifty five years of age having reported saving less than ten thousand dollars. That's right. So if you have a four hundred one k plan available to you as an employee, participate. Question number eleven of the quiz: A household age sixty five is living on one hundred and twenty thousand dollars a year and out three percent inflation. 
how much money would that household need at age 75 and at age 85? And I could answer that okay, question, Jeff. At age 75, with 3% inflation, you would need $161,000. And at age 85, you would need $217,000. And this is a topic that we've talked about on this show time and time again, how many investors are not paying attention to monetary inflation while they're continuing to accept extremely low returns, in this low interest rate environment... By having high allocations to fixed income in their portfolios. That, that's right, and that inflation is eroding purchasing power. Let me put it in a simpler way. $5,000 grocery bill today would cost over $9,000 in 20 years. And I used to use also that car example, what your 67 Fastback cost versus what the average cost uh, of a car... $3,600. Yeah, what is the average cost of a Mustang today? Well over $30,000. That's inflation. Uh, question number 12. What percentage of households age 65 through 74 carry housing debt and credit card debt? The answer is 41% carry housing debt and 32% carry credit card debt. Now, this housing figure is from 2010 and is up from 25% in 1992, says the Employee Benefit Research Institute, and the credit card figure is unchanged over that period. The median value of mortgage debt for a household age 65 to 74 in 2010 was $70,000, according to AARP, and that is up from $15,400 in 1989. Question number 13 from the quiz. What percentage of workers have obtained investment advice from a professional financial advisor who is paid through either fees or commission? Now, the, the four options we have are A, 13%, B, 23%, C, 33%, or D, 43%. Now, the answer is B. Only 23% of workers have obtained investment advice from a professional financial advisor. And of those, 41% said they followed most of the advice. About a quarter said they followed all of it. The other quarter said they followed some of it. And if you're not just looking to get advice and actually looking to get professional management, the one thing that we always try to teach on the Money Wise program is that if you do not want to be making the day-to-day -day investment decisions on your retirement nesting, you need to find a competent and experienced registered investment advisor that's completely fee-based, that will be able to take that discretionary control, that will be sitting on that wall to be making the day-to-day -day decisions with your retirement nest egg. So to summarize from this entire quiz, um, it's a lot of great information. Uh, hopefully it's information that is a wake-up call for some people. Uh, if you're a, lung, a younger longer, if you're a younger listener to the Money Wise program, hopefully this provided you some education and maybe motivated yeah. you to get on the ball to, as we've always said on this program, to pay yourself first. But if you're in your 50s, and you're part of that 36% that have saved less than $10,000, don't think that it, you're completely hopeless to retire. You have time. You have to start yeah. saving. You have to start investing. Retirement saving is not a race. It's a marathon. That's right. And those who have you know, a lot more time to run that marathon are going to be the ones that, that are, I think, in, in the end, are going to have a much better retirement and and be much more comfortable. 
Now, that's not to say for those for those of us that are list that are listening to our show that might be in that thirty six percent that have saved less than ten thousand dollars. It's never too late to get started. It's never too late to get motivated. It's never too late to train for for that marathon. I, I, I like is time, that. Is time, is time on your side? Well, you know, you you've time is what it is. It is what it is, as they say. But that doesn't mean you should just give up, sit on your hands, and, and not at least make the effort to participate in that 401k that you have at, have at work and increase your contributions. Or if you've been to a many, like we, we continue to see many investors that have been sitting on the sidelines when it comes to not, having, participating. not participating in the, in the stock side of the market, not having some of their portfolio invested in stocks, still sitting in cash, still sitting in high allocations to fixed income. It's never too late to, to start to make a change. And, and, you know, retirement planning would be extremely easy if all of us were given a piece of paper the day we were born that said the day that we were going to be leaving this earth. Retirement planning would be very, very easy. Unfortunately, none of us know when our last day on this earth is going to be. And so the best thing to do is to be prepared and to plan. That's absolutely the key. And pay yourself first and constantly be thinking about that prize, kind of like Jeff said, that marathon. There's a finish line at the end of that marathon. It's a long race, but you will eventually get to that finish line. And so you have to prepare and plan and for so it. And so if you're not sure where you're at in your marathon, if you think you need to be saving more, if you're not if you're not sure what you own in in, in, in retirement, if you want to get a a re, a and look at your retirement plan and see if am I invested in the right securities? You know, give give us a call at Davidson Capital Management. We'll be happy to do a free portfolio review and analysis. Okay. And you can reach us at nine zero six zero zero seven zero or toll free at one eight hundred two seven five two one six two. And with that, we'd like to thank everyone for listening to this weekend's Money Wise program. For my father John and my brother Jeff, this is Kyle Davidson saying have a fantastic weekend and to your financial health. We will talk to you next week.